0: It was a beautiful day in Rock Hill, South Carolina. It was early May, just a time when spring was beginning to turn into summer. The strains of rock and roll music could be heard wafting from the jukebox in the local milk bar. Elvis Presley and Del Shannon. As people made their way about their morning business, buying groceries, stopping and chatting in the street as they went. Looking closer though, you can see the signs of a town divided. Not at war, just neatly split between two distinct groups of people. Restrooms, water fountains, bus stations, rule marked with signs saying whites only, or coloured only. Segregation at bus stops that cross state lines had been officially outlawed by the US Supreme Court a year earlier. On the Greyhound bus pulling into the station were 13 young men who boarded the bus in Washington DC to test the implementation of these laws. Rock Hill was their first stop in the deep south. John Lewis was a young seminary student riding on the bus. He remembers getting off the bus that day. I approached the white waiting room at the Rock Hill Greyhound Terminal. I noticed a large number of white guys hanging around the pinball machines in the lobby. Two of these guys were leaning against the door jamb in the waiting room. They wore leather jackets and they had those ducktail haircuts. And each was smoking a cigarette. Other side, nigger, one of the two said, stepping in my way as I began to walk through the door. He pointed to a door down the way with a sign that said, Coloured. The next thing I knew, a fist had smashed into my face. Another one on the right side of my head. As I fell to the floor, I could feel feet kicking me in the side. I could taste blood in my mouth. The fist belonged to Elwyn Hope Wilson. And it wasn't an isolated case of racist violence for him, hurling insults at black people was a part of normal life for him. It was how he got his kicks. He was among a group of people throwing eggs and mocking protesters, walking behind hooded Ku Klux Klan members and taunting the black pro- the black students who dared to test the segregation laws. When he found a young black black boy jiggling with a soda machine outside his father's gas station he hardly needed to think before he hurled a tire jack at the boy and his hatred of blacks became an ingrained part of his life he would yell racist insults whenever his son would talk on the phone to a black member of his wrestling team when a garden ornament of his was vandalised he strung up a black doll with a noose around its neck in its driveway and when a neighbour complained he threaded his neighbour with an AK-47. If you were black you'd best stay away from Elwin Wilson and John Lewis found out the truth the hard way that warm spring day in 1961. Fast forward 40 years or so and John Lewis is now a senator in the US government. He answered the phone Does he remember Elwin Wilson? Well, no, that name doesn't ring a bell. Does he remember getting beaten up at that Rock Hill bus station? Well, yes, that he does remember. Well, this Elwin Wilson is on the other line, asking if he'll be willing to meet to receive an apology. Wilson has been working the list of men whom he had abused and mistreated over the years, asking for their forgiveness. And now he's come upon Lewis would Lewis be willing to forgive the man who had brutally beaten him some 40 years ago? The thoughts ran through his mind. What could have prompted this man to change in such a way? How could such a committed and violent racist turn and ask for forgiveness? Can a leopard change its spots? Really? He accepted the offer, but he wanted to ask this Elwyn Wilson some questions. As to why he wanted to apologise. And why now? People don't understand the burden of carrying all that hate. Wilson remembers telling a friend of his, I'm going to hell. He knew that the life of hate he had lived had set him on a path to hell. If you truly ask forgiveness and you meet it in your heart, you can be saved, this friend told Wilson. You just have to let the Lord guide you. Together with another friend, a part-time preacher, the three of them bowed their heads and prayed. Wilson felt a peace, that a doom that he had felt over his life had been lifted. A week later, he saw the nation inaugurate their first black president, and he knew what he had to do. He had to make what happened in his heart real in the lives of those people that he had hurt. And so he looked up each of the men he knew he had racially abused, including John Lewis, to apologise and ask for their forgiveness. It was a hot and dusty day as the crowd marched unevenly from the city gates outside the city walls. They were all dressed in long flowing robes. Characteristic of the Jews was Teflon, Well, small boxes that contained scripture, bound to their foreheads and their wrists, marking them as Pharisees. At a point just outside the city walls, the crowd stopped. Each of them removed their outer robes and placed them by one of the younger men who seemed to be leading the crowd. Then it became apparent that there was one young man in the middle who was dressed differently. He wasn't wearing these long-flowing Jewish robes, he was wearing robes that would be clothing that was more similar to what the Greeks or the Romans wore. Then the man in charge saw so his name standing looking over a pile of these Jewish robes motioned with his arm and each of the men there picked up a stone from the ground and began to hurl it at this man in the middle. One by one pelting him with hard rocks this was unpleasant business but it was totally necessary thought to to himself as he watched as the man's body became ever more bloodied and bruised as each successive rock struck him didn't these people understand how important it was to maintain the purity of their people, the purity of their religion, their God was a holy God They were Jews. They were God's chosen people. And God, through Moses, had given them clear instructions about how to live, how to worship, what to wear, what to eat, who to marry, everything. God had made things clear to them. And then these people come right here into Jerusalem, God's holy city, and they don't pay any attention to these ancient commands. This was a dangerous movement, one that needs to be stamped out. The very identity of God's people, the Jews, was at stake if they did not. It had started at Passover, some few weeks earlier, when that so-called Messiah or King of the Jews, Jesus, had come into town. He'd caused a ruckus at the temple and then he'd been taken away and crucified like every other person who claimed to be a king of the Jews, had ended up. Usually things ended there, but in this case, some few weeks later, things started to uh, get a bit strange. More and more people seemed to be coming out saying that this Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was God's preordained Messiah the Chosen One, the Holy One of Israel. And now thousands of people were turning to this new sect. If things continued at this rate soon, there would be no temple, no sacrifice, no Jewish nation. He decided at that point that it would be up to him. He must take responsibility and do what he can to stop the spread of this movement. After the stoning of this young man, a Jew in name only, because he spoke, dressed and acted like a Greek, he would ask for permission to go to Damascus, where he knew that there would be more of this new sect, to round them up, to take them in, to arrest them, to force them to recant and repent and come back to their true religion. And after Damascus, well, there was Galilee, Galilee. He'd go down to Alexandria, up the coast, all the way back up to his hometown of Tarsus and beyond. Everywhere the sect was, he would go and destroy it. He hated what they were doing to his religion. He would rid the world of this abomination that was destroying his religion and people. And so, in due time, he gathered together a party and set off towards Damascus, A journey of a few days. He was only a short distance away from Damascus, when all of a sudden a piercing bright light shone out of the sky, directly into his face. He felt like an ant underneath a magnifying glass. A voice from the heavens called out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He called out in the midst of confusion and sudden blindness. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, came the response. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now blind, he let his fellow travellers lead him into the city. Where they found a house and he began to try to reconcile all the contradictory thoughts that were flying around inside his brain. The people from this sect worshipped Jesus But this was Jesus speaking to him from heaven. The Jesus that these people from this sect worshipped. But how could this new sect be of God? It went against everything that he understood about what God had said. How could he have understood things so wrong? He was trying to honour God but didn't God say that he was persecuting him? He drew on his knowledge of the scriptures. As a good Jewish boy, he had been trained up in memorizing the scriptures and now could recall, could recall them from heart. He recalled God's calling of Abraham. I will bless all nations through you. He recalled the 67th Psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation amongst the nations. He recalled a promise in Isaiah, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. He considered all of these things and more as he sat for three days, neither eating, nor drinking, nor speaking. Gradually, he came to see it more clearly. Strange. He had never seen the scriptures so clearly as right now when he was blind. It was true, the Jews were God's chosen people. But they were chosen for a purpose. To bring God's blessing, his salvation, his light to all nations. And that Jesus had brought about that possibility. He had become the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice, so that all may come to worship God freely. He filled with praise and prayer as he came to realize this revelation of God that he had been given. How God has struck him down to raise him up to this new life. And he knew what he must do next. He must be baptized. And accept the sacrifice of Jesus. he must preach it. Everywhere. But especially to the Gentiles. This was the mystery. God had through Jesus' sacrifice brought the Gentiles in. The richness of God's blessing were now open to all. No one was to be excluded. No more Jews only thinking. No more Pharisees only thinking this salvation was for everyone, Jew and Gentile. And so many years later, Saul found himself in prison, in prison for preaching this good news of salvation to the Gentiles, the very people he had previously despised and considered unworthy of God, a prisoner for their sake. And as he was in prison, he penned a letter to a group of these Gentiles who he had visited some years earlier. And so today we find ourselves, many more years later, ourselves inheritors of this great gift and receptors of this letter that Saul, also known as Paul, had written to this group of mainly Gentile Christians at Ephesus. And what is this passage saying to us now? What is the mystery of Christ? It is that this salvation... This blessing, this good news is for everyone. I want you to listen to this song. Listen to the different groups of people that are mentioned. Which ones don't fit? Which ones don't belong? The fact is that God calls each and every one to respond to his gospel. His salvation and his blessing are available to everyone. This is a mystery of Christ. There are no whites only signs on the gospel or Jew only. The labels don't matter. God is calling everyone to respond to his goodness, to receive his salvation. And I want to ask you if you are prepared to accept that. Is our church prepared to take the gospel to atheists? to gays and lesbians, to skinheads and street kids, to racists. Because that is the mystery of Christ. Christ is calling all of these people to come to him. Are you prepared to help him do that? Maybe there is one particular group of people, maybe mentioned in the list in that song, maybe not, that you are really struggling to accept as being called by God called to become part of God's family, called to be an heir of Christ, a co-heir with you. Maybe you're like Elwin Wilson or like Saul, struggling with a previous mindset. I would like to encourage you to seek God's help in accepting this group of people as God does. Maybe it's a group of people that has hurt you in the past, I would ask you to have the courage that John Lewis had to extend the hand of forgiveness to them. I would ask you to have the courage that Paul had to go and take the gospel to them. This good news is available to everyone. God places no restrictions on its availability. Let's not add any of our own.